A few months ago, I received in the mail a beautiful two-volume boxed set of poems published by the Library of America. The Library of America is one of the more important publishing houses here in the U.S. that focuses on American classics. And back in the 90s, they did a two-volume series called American Poetry the 19th Century. Oddly, American poetry in the 19th century is not as well covered when it comes to scholarship or even anthologies as 20th century poetry. One of the reasons for this is that the American 19th century was viewed in the 20th century and still in the 21st century as not quite as strong and certainly not as innovative as the 20th century when it came to poetry. Poets like Emily Dickinson, Walt Whitman, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Edgar Allan Poe have been beloved ever since people first read their poems in the 19th century. But for the last hundred years, for whatever reason, it's been more popular to write and think and republish the poems of 20th century poets like Frost and Stevens and Marianne Moore and T.S. Eliot and Ezra Pound. But in the late 90s, that began to change. And so this two-volume set, uh, American Poetry the 19th Century by the Library of America Press, has really, I think, helped give us a better view of uh, just the range of 19th century American poetry. And these two volumes were just re-released in a nice, pretty boxed set. Uh, and so that's why I'm talking about them. The folks over at Library of America were kind enough to send me a copy. And I've just had a blast looking through these anthologies and finding poems that would have been seen as too minor to fit in a book like the Oxford Anthology of American Poetry, you know, that starts with colonial poetry and goes up through the 21st century. And I, I stumbled across this wonderful poem uh, as I was perusing uh, the first volume of this collection. Uh, this poem is called My Last Dance by Julia Ward Howe. Now, if you were to just find an anthology of American literature, one poem by Julia Ward Howe might have made it in there. And in fact, this poem is better known as a song. That's the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling off the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. You've heard the poem. You've heard the song. And how it kind of became a one-hit wonder, as it were, at least in American memory, through this song. Uh, this song was in particular important to abolitionists and the Union cause in the American Civil War. But Howe wrote more poetry than that. In fact, her first collection of poetry was published in the 1850s anonymously. It was called Passion Flowers, and it included the poem My Last Dance, which I want to read to you and talk about. Just for reference, uh, Howe was born in 1819 and lived up into the 20th century. She died in 1910. So she really got to see, you know, the formative events of America coming into its own from, you know, Little Republic in, in 1819 all the way up through, you know, almost the First World War. Howe uh, is remembered for a lot of her uh, activism. Uh, she was involved in the abolitionist movement in the lead up to the Civil War. And in the late, in the late 19th century, she became particularly involved in the fight for women's suffrage. Uh, so Howe is kind of remembered as an activist poet. 
kind of of the stripe uh, of someone like uh, Whittier in the ab in her abolitionist poems or um, or Harriet Beecher Stowe, and then maybe even someone more like Susan B. Anthony after the Civil War. My Last Dance doesn't have much to do with abolition. It might have a little bit to do with women's suffrage if we read between the lines. I just found it to be a beautiful poem. It's almost two pages long, uh, and it's written uh, in quatrains uh, of iambic pentameter. And so I want to read it and then share some thoughts on it. The shell of objects inwardly consumed will stand till some convulsive wind awakes. Such sense hath fire to waste the heart of things, nature such love to hold the form she makes. Thus... Wasted joys will show their early bloom, yet crumble at the breath of a caress. The golden fruitage hides the scathed bough. Snatch it, thou scatterest wide its emptiness. For pleasure bidden, I went forth last night to where thick hung the festal torches gleamed. Here were the flowers, the music as of old, Almost the very olden time, it seemed. For one with cheek unfaded, though he brings my buried brothers to me in his look, said, Will you dance? At the accustomed words, I gave my hand, the old position took. Sound, gladsome measure, at whose bidding once I felt the flush of pleasure to my brow, while my soul shook the burthen of the flesh, and in its young pride said, Lie lightly, thou. Then, like a gallant swimmer, flinging high my breast against the golden waves of sound, I rode the maddening tumult of the dance, mocking fatigue that never could be found. Chide not. It was not vanity, nor sense, the brutish scorn such vaporish delight, but nature, cadencing her joy of strength to the harmonious limits of her right. She gave her impulse to the dancing hours, to winds that weep, to stars that noiseless turn. She marked the measure rapid hearts must keep, devise each pace that glancing feet should learn. And sure, that prodigal o'erflow of life, unvowed as yet to family or state. Sweet sounds, white garments, flowery coronals make holy in the pageant of our fate. Sound measure, but to stir my heart no more. For, as I moved to join the dizzy race, my youth fell from me. All its blooms were gone, and others showed them smiling in my face. Faintly I met the shock of circling forms, linked to each other, fashion's galley slaves, dream-wandering, like an unaccustomed ghost that starts, surprised, to shamble over graves. For graves were neath my feet, whose placid masks smiled out upon my folly mournfully, while all the host of the departed said, Tread lightly, thou art ashes, even as we. So like I said, this is a longer lyric poem, almost two pages long in this edition. And it's an odd poem in that we have the central narrative of going off to a dance. And the poem, as you noticed probably in my reading of it, it starts off a little bit meditatively, maybe even philosophically, 
And then when it becomes about the action of dancing, it really picks up its pace, but then slows down to meditate on the movement and the uh, activity it's described. And then it ends with this interesting sort of speaking of the dead to the, to the speaker of the poem. I, I want to think about uh, those three movements, the meditative beginning, the active middle, and then the more meditative ending. It's bold as a poet to begin a poem with sort of more f abstract philosophical meditation, um, especially if you're going to tell a story as a poet, it's often safest to begin at the beginning of the story, once upon a time, or, you know, uh, I walked upon a lane and saw a maid, or uh, what is this house I walk within? You know, s some sort of putting us in the scene, getting us ready for the action. But how doesn't do this? It's, a, it's brave what she does. The shell of objects inwardly consumed will stand till some convulsive wind awakes. Such sense hath fire to waste the heart of things, nature such love to hold the form she makes. It's kind of this principle that she's stating, that there are a type of objects that are inwardly consumed, but the shell of them still stands until some wind awakes them. And then she says, nature loves the form she makes. She keeps the form even when the inside has been, well, she said inwardly consumed in the first line. But in the third line, she says, fire has wasted the heart of this. It's an interesting image, this sort of the outward semblance staying, even if the inside has has been uh, burned away. It's the kind of opening that we might expect in, in a poem that's, that is going to be philosophical meditation the whole time, maybe a poem like a sonnet. But no, this is going to be about, at least at one level, a lady going off to a dance and having a pretty jolly time. Thus, second stanza, wasted joys will show their early bloom, yet crumble at the breath of a caress. The golden fruitage hides the scathed bough. Snatch it, thou scatterest wide its emptiness. Okay, so we first have the sort of a form that's hollowed out, but now we have this applied to the joys, wasted joys. Wasted joys of youth seem to have an early bloom. Oh, this seems nice at first. Oh, but then it falls away. If you snatch at it, you scatter wide its emptiness. Um, okay. Once again, I think we could see this as maybe the second movement of a sonnet. But no, this is going to be much longer than a sonnet. It's in the third stanza that we really get the beginning of the narrative. For pleasure bidden, I went forth last night to where thick hung the festal torches gleamed. Here were the flowers, the music as of old, almost the very olden time it seemed. The description of where she's going and why she's going, I think gives us a sense of what kind of person this speaker is. For pleasure bidden, I went forth last night. Uh, someone has invited her, has bid her come. Why? For pleasure. Hey, come have a good time. Okay. I went forth last night to where thick hung the festal torches. This, this phrase thick hung reminds me of the stanza above where we have this idea of fruit. 
but it's not fruit that's hanging anymore. It's torches, festal torches. And I can't get out of my mind this idea that shining, you know, a, a shining rosy apple or a gleaming orange on a branch does look a little bit like a torch, you know, a glowing torch hanging from, I don't know, from a, I don't know, a trellis outside of a party. There's a connection here that she's suggesting without saying, you know, the torches were like apples. Uh, she's given us an image of fruit. Now she's giving us an image of torches and they're kind of echoing off each other in a nice way. One of the reasons I love this poem is I think it shows a mastery of subtle implication and imagery that is wedded to both philosophical meditation of a sonnet variety and also just a good rip-roaring description of dancing. How, how I think shows that, that when at her best, she can really weave together a poem that has a lot going on in it. For one, with cheek unfaded, though he brings my buried brothers to me in his look, said, will you dance? Okay, so this, coupled with her description of I, uh, almost the very olden time, it seemed, um, makes me feel like this speaker is someone who, who has lived a bit. This isn't, you know, a young lady going to her first party. This is a woman who, or a speaker who, has somehow been outside of, you know, pleasant society, maybe has not been recently accustomed to going to dances, who's going back. And the olden time, it seemed, feels like she's remembering a time of youth. Or it could be, equally, she's seeing this as, oh, this must have been what it used to be like for people when they used to go to dances in some previous time. Either way, there's a sense in the speaker that um, time has passed, things are no longer as perhaps frivolous and joyous as they once were. And I can't help but think that, you know, this this is written, published in the 1850s. Uh, the 1850s were, people didn't feel like it was as such an innocent time as perhaps in the 18-teens or 1820s. This is not Regency England, and it's not even, you know, early American Republic. Uh, the, the winds of war are blowing, the drums of war are beating. The abolitionist cause is vehement, uh, and matching its vehemence is the cry of, you know, states' rights and self-determination from the South. Um, and Ward is very aware of that. And we even saw, I mentioned that this isn't about abolition, and I don't think it's explicitly about it, but we mentioned, we saw later in the poem that she even compares people to galley slaves. You can't use the word slave literally in America without people thinking of slavery. And you can't even use the word slave at all in some publications in America. In 1842, when Longfellow tried to publish poems on slavery, Southern book distributors said, I'm sorry, we can't distribute your book in stores because the word slavery isn't allowed to be used in our state in publication. So that word slaves, lest we think it, you know, is an innocuous, you know, reference to, you know, the old galley slaves of, of Rome or something like that. No, 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 no. This is a very, very politically resonant word. Okay, so we have this speaker. They're going to a dance. They haven't been to a dance in a while. It seems like they're um, of old. Also, there's this weird aside. Uh, the one with cheek unfaded said, will you dance? But there's this aside after one with cheek unfaded, though he brings my buried brothers to me in his look. Wow, this is a speaker who has lost her brothers. 
how did they die of 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 old age of uh, in war uh, of disease there, there's a sense of loss even before we get the dance started certainly loss of time but also loss of loved ones he said will you dance and the accustomed words i gave at the accustomed words i gave my hand the old position took the word old has now been used three times in the space of two stanzas this is someone who once danced and no longer dances interesting sound gladsome measure at whose bidding once i felt the flush of pleasure to my brow and now we're off we have the sound gladsome measure she's talking to the 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 song itself she's saying all right go for it play and then we have several stanzas of this description of frenetic dancing like a gallant swimmer, she says, flinging high my breast against the golden waves of sound. Um, nature cadencing her joy of strength to the harmonious limits of her right. Um, nature, who holds the form she makes, even though when the inner substance has fallen away, nature's form comes back many stanzas later. And nature is sort of assisting and shaping this dance. But we already had this principle, yes, the form remains when the substance is gone. So there's something about even bringing up nature here that's echoing back, no, I already said that nature could hold a form even when the substance is gone. So even though this seems like a joyous dance, she's prepared us to be suspicious of the fullness or completeness of this joy. Once again, this, this is a very well-patterned poem. Okay, so after the dance, once once nature has been brought up, we have this these movement of the last couple stanzas. Sound measure, she says again, after describing more of the white garments, sweet sounds, flowery coronals, make holy in the pageant of our fate. Um, there's this almost swirling uh, set of images, but words like fate and holy seem to make us think of more ultimate things. Finally, third to last stanza, she says, sound measure, but to stir my heart no more. For as I moved to join the dizzy race, my youth fell from me. All its blooms were gone, and others showed them smiling in my face. She no longer is young, but she sees her youth, or maybe sees youth itself, uh, in others. So this dance has kind of both caught her up into an old pattern, but now, now the youth falls away, but she's still dancing. Faintly I met the shock of circling forms linked to each other, fashion's galley slaves. It's interesting. What are they the slaves of? Fashion. Fashion is actually capitalized. This is a sort of anthropomorphized fashion. Fashion is somehow ruling these people, but not her. She somehow moved beyond through this dance, uh, slavery to fashion, uh, those old forms of youth. Dream wandering like an unaccustomed ghost that starts surprised to stumble over graves. Interesting. All of a sudden, she's not dancing. She's stumbling over graves. And we have this almost like a panning down uh, of the focus, I, I realize that that's, you know, uh, film imagery of, you know, a camera moving. But we've been thinking about, we've been focusing on the dance, but now there's this question of what's below the dancers. For graves, 
the last stanza begins, were neath my feet, whose placid masks smiled out upon my folly mournfully. She characterizes all this dance as folly. Or maybe even her perspective changing in the dance is somehow foolish. While all the host of the departed said, Tread lightly, thou art ashes, even as we. Whenever we walk, we walk upon the dead, I guess. Even when we dance, we dance upon the dead. The dead's message to her, I think we would expect in a Poe poem, you know, the dead's message to be really spooky and, you know, uh, perhaps even nihilistic. It's not even a, you're going to die soon. It's a, tread lightly, thou art ashes, even as we. The dead and the living, you know, the, the dead who are sleeping deep beneath the earth and the living who are dancing upon the earth, they're made out of the same stuff. And yes, I think that there's an implication, you know, you're going to be dead soon. But no, it, it's more about what they share. Tread lightly, thou art ashes even as we. There's something about the dancer that needs to realize that there's not a lot different between them and the dead. And that they shouldn't certainly feel superior to the dead. They shouldn't tread heavily in a sense of subduing. I keep getting the feeling that there's something really allegorical about this poem. I feel like the dance is obviously a dance, but the dance is also something else. And I'd be interested to hear what you think the dance is. Uh, the dance is probably something like life at the very least. But this other that she's dancing with, who brings my buried brothers to me in his look, uh, is it her father she's dancing with? Is it another brother? There's something about family going on here. There's something about forms that are created and sustained and then fall away. This is a poem that I'd love to I'd love to do more research into to see how people have interpreted it. My guess is, dear listener, there's not a lot written on this poem. And this is one of the reasons why I spent a little bit of time highlighting this Library of America. Yeah, 19th century American poetry uh, project from the 90s that's just been re-released. Um, whenever we look back to the past and sort of find and dust off old poems that people haven't been paying attention to, we have an opportunity to, well, one, have new things to enjoy, new things to be troubled by, um, but also new opportunities to to dig into the the perspectives, the, the fears, the joys of people who haven't been thought about in a while. And I love that how, like all good poets, is reminding us of our connections to one another and our connections to the past, our connections to the dead. And I like how honest Howe is. Apparently Howe published her first collection anonymously because her family, in particular her husband, was worried that her poems seemed to express unhappiness and didn't want, you know, the family to be embarrassed by knowing that, you know, mom uh, wrote poems about not being chipper. Now, of course, I think in the 20th and 21st century, we expect poets to express their dissatisfaction. But Howe is living in an era where at least her immediate family felt embarrassed by the fact that she was talking about, you know, sorrow and growing old and, you know, uh, death I think we can now look back and, and appreciate this and learn from it. Uh, and what I want to 
what I want to remind us of is it's not just the ideas that we learn from in a poem like this. It's how the ideas are structured within the images, the words, and the organization of the images and the words as the poem flows. The poet is not just an organizer of sounds, though they are, and too many poets forget that. They're not just an organizer of events in a story. They're an organizer of these complex things, words yoked into phrases that have metrical or, or rhythmic beauty, which are then organized into a whole poem and at each level can be evaluated. At each level, we can think about the resonances between the meanings, the ideas, the events being described, and the sounds, and also how all of those complexes of ideas, sounds, and images are related to one another in the organization, how they echo off each other. This is the beauty and the complexity of poetry, and how, though we don't often think of her now, when we look back into her, reminds us of that. This has been the Poetry Corner Podcast. I'm Dr. Timothy Bartell. Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, thoughts about this poem uh, or poetry in general, please email us at poetrycorner at stconstantine.org. Thank you.